Marketing Mindset, the Growth Hacker's Guide to Business Success. Join us with conversations with the world's leading experts, covering their biggest insights from years of experience. We also host deep dives into the latest innovations in marketing to the most successful time-worn strategies that you can start using today. I genuinely believe that effective marketing is about helping somebody come to a decision with which they remain happy, even if that's not to buy from you. I always used to write to people saying, you know, where are you? Where have you gone? I'd be direct, punchy. And you get widows writing back saying, my husband is gone to the other side. Oh, God, you know, this, is, this, is, this, this is not good. The Marketing Mindset Podcast is hosted by me, Sam Harris, and my business, Postery, the leading solution of personalized marketing with the mission to rid the world of spam. Hey people, today we have Scott Brinker on the podcast. He has done so many things, his CV is just ridiculous. I originally introduced him live on the podcast and after about two minutes we were there like, oh my god Sam, maybe you should just shut up and start asking questions. It was, it got, it got slightly awkward. But anyway, instead of repeating that again now, we can just dive straight into the condensed intro and then the rest of the interview with Scott. And it's really fun, so I hope you enjoy it. Hi Scott, it's great to have you on the podcast today. As an introduction for the listeners... This is Scott Brinker, the VP of HubSpot Platform. You were the co-founder and CTO of Ion Interactive. And yep. then you run the chief marketing technologist blog, chiefmartech.com. And you're the author of Hacking Marketing and you run the MarTech Conference. Basically, if you're into marketing and technology in general, then you probably should have heard about Scott at some point. What has been your favorite topic of conversation this week? You know, everyone is starting to think about 2019 and uh, this is the season for predictions and trends. And I'm always somewhat hesitant to engage in the uh, prediction game. I mean, the world's just changing so rapidly and in so many interesting and dynamic ways. that I think it's actually hard to like predict exactly what's going to happen. Okay, so what would you say going longer distance, what would be your predictions for like 2024, like five years time, what do you think would be like the big thing then? If I had to pick one thing, it would be that by 2024, I think the things we think of today that require a developer or require a data scientist or require some sort of enterprise architect to do an integration for, I think all that stuff will largely be done by regular marketers, that the tools will have evolved in a way through uh, friendly interfaces, artificial intelligence, both in the interaction with the marketer, but also in what it builds underneath it, that marketers will just be creating software and analyzing data on the fly without even having to think of it as, oh, I'm going to create a piece of software. Oh boy, I've got to analyze this data set. It'll just be built into the day-to-day work. That's really cool thinking about it. Yeah, I wonder what the developers will be doing (laughs) by that point. Yeah, well, they'll be the ones building the tools to let marketers uh, use that stuff. Something tells me developers will continually find new frontiers. Okay, so what were the frontiers that you've generally been going for? So what were you trying to do with your old company that you sold, Ion Interactive. 
So ION's mission for the last five years or so of its existence was to create a tool for marketers to build interactive content. Most content, when we think about it, is actually passive, right? The audience uh, you know, reads an article or they watch a video or they <laughs> listen to a podcast. But interactive content is when marketers are creating content that's actually designed for the audience and the participants to engage with it. Like quizzes or assessment tools or calculators or solution finders or any of these sort of things where the user contributes something, the software reacts, they then contribute something else and goes back and forth. And I, I kind of thought of it as uh, the way on sales calls, we think about sales engineers, like the sales engineers knows what questions to ask, you know, help get the right information to the customer based on the answers to those questions. And that's what we were trying to do at scale with interactive content. Cool, yeah, this definitely makes it a lot more engaging. So what kind of pains did you guys go through at Ion Interactive? What was the hardest thing that you had to overcome? Well, as uh, as the creator of that crazy MarTech landscape, there's certainly the challenge that everyone in the marketing technology industry faces, which is on one hand, it's never been easier to build software, right? With uh, all this infrastructure as a service and open source software. On the other hand, it's probably never been harder to like get attention, to like break through the noise of all these other competitive marketing technology solutions. You know, the hardest thing for us was in many ways, we felt the ultimate channel for interactive content was going to be agencies. And that agencies, quite frankly, had been the folks who created a lot of content in the passive content world. And we thought they could be an amazing channel for creating interactive content for their clients. But one of the things I learned in that process is change changes art. We talked to a lot of agencies who at some level theoretically understood it, but yeah, their willingness to say, oh, actually, wow, we could build a business around creating interactive content. That was actually very hard to convince people to do. So I've come to have a lot of respect for anything that's asking a company or you know, an industry to change the way it behaves. Even if it makes great sense on paper, change is hard. Yeah, it's been kind of hard getting people to sort of really change the way they do things. It's, it's, it's a bit like MailChimp, but for physical posts, so you can design your campaign online and you have like your merge fields and you can personalize it and you get analytics and things. So it's turning physical posts into a digital channel, but trying to get people who are digital marketers to use a physical channel is still quite hard even though we've made it as friendly as possible and trying to get the people's attention. And they're like, oh, cool, I really like it. But they don't quite work out when they're going to use it or get around to doing it and things. And it's been some pains, for sure. And then you're speaking about sales and things that you then sold the company. Was that a difficult process or was that just quite natural? Someone wanted you? Like- yeah, it was a good fit. Uh, the company that acquired us, uh, Scribble, was uh, building out a, uh, a full content marketing suite. And they were one of the first ones to recognize that interactive content could be a really valuable piece of a much larger suite that included things like content and development marketplaces and content analytics and things of that kind too. So yeah, no, that worked out well. Cool. That's very pleased to hear. Congratulations, I guess. Thank um, you. Yeah. So they just bought out the founders or did you guys have, like, how did the process happen exactly? Ion Interactive had been organically funded and grown. We actually never took venture capital 
it, it had its advantages and it had its challenges. So yeah, at the end, you know, Scribble came by. They essentially bought the company from myself and my two co-founders. My co-founders stayed on for a while to help them uh, yeah. with the transition. And actually, it was right around that time I had decided to leave Ion. As wonderful of a time as I had at Ion, I had this opportunity at HubSpot to help them develop their platform ecosystem strategy. And that's been a passion of mine in the MarTech space for a long time, yeah. the, the, how these platforms could potentially evolve. So, you know, as they say, like you had me at hello. Yeah. <laughs> Just something totally. I, 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 I could not resist. Yeah. Good timing. Just got to go do something that you're really passionate about. And I'd love to find out a bit more about what you are doing at HubSpot as the platform ecosystem vice president. I don't sure. really know what that means exactly. <laughs> <laughs> some some days I'm not sure what it means either. But <laughs> so the the vision here is right. I mean, every SaaS product now has APIs, right? I mean, you know, it's, it's just becoming an open, interconnected world. But I think there's an opportunity for some of the larger players in the space. You know, I'd like HubSpot to be one of them, but you know, we also see with like Salesforce and Adobe and Oracle. These folks that can essentially be like a tentpole at the center of the marketing technology stack and help coordinate the exchange of data and also the triggering of actions and workflow across many different tools that marketers have in their stacks. Marketers have built these incredible stacks of tools. You know, it's not unusual to find marketing teams that have dozens, in some cases, even more than 100 different tools that they've all interconnected and they use in interesting ways. But for the most part, it's, it's been a little bit hard for marketers to integrate these pieces the way they want because they sort of each lived in their own little silo. And so the vision of these platforms is to say, okay, if you could have that tentpole that sort of acts as the hub, no pun intended, uh, you know, between <laughs> different pieces, you can actually let marketers get the full value out of all these different tools they're using, like help them actually work better together. So my mission at HubSpot is to first and foremost, help uh, the company with its strategy to become one of those platforms, particularly for the uh, SMB segment. And then beyond that, I've got a counterpart in the product organization who's leading the way in which our product development is changing to better support that. And then I spend a lot of time working with partners to make sure that we're providing them the right distribution and marketing channels. If they decide to connect to the HubSpot platform, how do we work with them to make sure they get in front of the right set of our customers and that we make it super easy for customers to adopt those solutions and plug them into the platform? Cool. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty fulfilling time. <laughs> it's keeping me busy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's definitely cool. And we've been using HubSpot at Postry and Stephanie sort of the, the thing in the middle that we kind of go through forever. I think it's been a good tool. Yeah, I'd like to talk more a bit more on your writing stuff so did you always write when you were younger or did you just decide that you wanted to improve at it kind of like to know how you got into it exactly like when you decided to write a book I guess I always did do a lot of writing. I started kind of young on uh, the software side. I was uh, developing multiplayer games and when I was a teenager. I ended up working with a bulletin board system company in the days before the web had uh, exploded. I'm dating myself here. So it was interesting. There were two things that brought me to writing. One was as an entrepreneur trying to reach new customers, increasingly like was first direct mail and then, you know, later, of course, it was online content. But the other thing was when I was fairly young and I was involved in working with larger and larger companies, 
there's always this challenge of as a young person coming into organizations that had a lot of senior people on the surface of just coming in there and, you know, looking young and fresh, you know, there's this question of how seriously will your ideas be taken? And so one of my mentors at the time really encouraged me to get good at writing down what these ideas were because you know when people would like read something in some ways you know it cleared their eyes of who was delivering the message and more of a focus on okay well what's the value of this idea and so I found it to be a very a kind of like a, a psychological hack for how to spread ideas yeah, yeah and if you can get good at storytelling you can get people to adopt your ideas and talk about your ideas and just make things happen basically how did you improve at writing? Was it just a case of writing a lot and, <laughs> and it got better? Or? Yeah, certainly uh, the more you write, the better. Reading a lot helps too. You know, one of the pieces of advice I've gotten from so many different writers over the years is more is less. Now, I think uh, my early writing had a tendency to lots of adjectives and lots of adverbs and, you know, these very long sentences. In fact, I, I think I still probably write with more adjectives and adverbs and longer sentences than I should. But a, a piece of advice I've, I've seen many times, and I, I think to the degree that I take it to heart, has helped is, yeah, keep sentences short, simple, nouns, verbs, move it forward. Yeah, I think so I had like trying to just read everything that you've written out loud and you should have you find yourself saying oh all these extra words i don't need to be saying like just now i tried to introduce you i'm like whoa i've written way too much i should have said this out loud beforehand because i could have just sort of said like you're the boss of this and that and you're awesome and just really could have moved on with our lives (laughs) and i'm like oh god and i've got this whole sentence about this other thing and uh, (laughs) it went too far so yeah yeah. be uh, be ruthless in cutting yes uh, best advice cool then how did you get other people to read what you were writing? So the the blog for me actually came about because it, it was a labor of love. I was genuinely fascinated by, you know, historically the world of software and IT and technology was a very different professional group than the world of marketers and marketing. Like, you know, if there was a career spectrum, they were like on opposite ends. But yeah, you know, over the past 15 years or so, there's been this steady collision between these two worlds. And so I was just fascinated by that. So I I initially started writing the blog really just as a way of thinking through in my own mind what I was seeing. And I was hoping I would connect with others. But to be honest, I was expecting like if there were a couple dozen other people who were interested in these dynamics too, that would have been great. In fact, for many years, that's probably all it was. And then somehow it connected with a larger audience. And I really do think A lot of that was luck. It was, you know, it just happened to be the thing I was passionate about. Eventually, because of all these changes in the world, it became something that was relevant to a much larger group of people. So I I, I can't take credit for saying, oh, I had some master plan to go out and get this audience. It was, it really was luck. (laughs) Right place at the right time. And then how did you go about starting a conference? Because, I mean, writing a conference sounds pretty cool, but... (laughs) I could quite easily just sort of invent one, but then no one might ever turn up. How do you put the whole thing together? Uh, so I work with a company called Third Door Media that are the folks who actually produce the MarTech conference. And my focus is really on um, just the the editorial program. So, you know, the speakers and the sessions and 
it's all put together, which is the stuff I love. I always say I get to do the fun part and the third door media does all the hard work. But yeah, I mean, we started the first conference in 2014 based around the blog and the audience on the blog. And it, it, it was a modest thing. We didn't know how many people would show up. And so when that first conference, we were hoping we might get 150 people or so. And it like sold out with like 400 wow. people. And it's like, oh my goodness. You know, again, it's, it's not really something I feel like we can even take credit for. It's like just there was a community here that wanted to get together. And once the conference appeared, it became a vehicle for uh, these people to come and meet each other and learn from each other and network and uh, very grateful to have been a part of that cool okay you speak about agile marketing a bit in your blog and i wanted to ask a bit more what you mean by that and how companies would use it in the software world about 16 years ago or so 17 years ago they, there started to be this movement around agile software development like a, a different approach to building software that was much more iterative and incremental teams would you know, work very closely with uh, stakeholders you know, every couple of weeks and building a little bit learning from it changing what they want to do next build a little more and so on and i found that structure actually was incredibly applicable to how marketing organizations have changed in the past 10 years in particular, where marketing used to be something that you could do these year-long marketing plans that were very well-defined. But in today's world, you know, this whole digital environment makes it so easy for marketers now to operate in an experimental world. You know, they might have a year-long vision, but the tactics they employ to achieve that, it becomes a real benefit benefit for them to work in a mode where, okay, well, let's try a couple things here. Let's learn what works, what doesn't. Let's iterate on that, you know, grow the things that are, try something different for the ones that aren't. And so, yeah, you, you've ended up now in a lot of marketing organizations seeing marketers adopt agile marketing the way software developers had adopted agile software development. Kind of cool. Okay. So I come from software background. Is there any specific tips you'd have for how I might do things differently in marketing with the agile process, or do I just do the exact same thing pretty much? I think it's very similar. Like conceptually, it's very similar. One of the best things we can do in marketing that's actually harder to do sometimes in software is A-B testing, right? It's like this, this, this whole notion of saying this digital canvas is we can say, all right, well, let's run three versions of this ad. Let's run three versions of this landing page. Let's try three different offers. And we're running them in parallel. And we can actually see side by side, like, okay, what resonates best with which audience? And then based on that data, either pick a winner or do another round of experimentation. I think marketers are in a position to do far more experimentation far more quickly than I think most software developers are in their projects. Cool. So we have a question from a listener, Laura, who's the head of marketing for a pharmaceutical company, Conova. She quotes you saying, the bottom line is that digital is the backbone of our lives today. So Laura totally agrees with this statement, but she would also like to get a feel from you of where you see traditional media working well with digital. And do you know any case studies of how that has or hasn't worked? Yeah, marketing is such an interesting field right now because all this stuff that's happening in the digital realm is really additive. It's not like it's replacing other channels or other marketing missions. It's really just 
adding on top. It's augmenting. In fact, in many ways, I think there's sort of a uh, rejuvenation of offline real world media happening just because it's really noisy in the digital sphere. And so the smart use of much more constrained resources, whether it be, you know, with television or direct mail or out of home experiential marketing at events, there are just so many things you can do to stand out. And when you design your digital programs and your real world programs in a way that they're synergistic, they play off each other, they interconnect to each other. Uh, yeah, I think you can really make tremendous progress. Okay, cool. So we've covered <laughs> the more Scott specific things. And then um, otherwise, it's just general, I normally cover on the podcast. So like biggest tips, biggest mistakes that you've made in marketing, favorite book, and um, that's about it. So yeah, quickly, what are your biggest tips in marketing? The biggest tip in marketing, uh, actually, is just what we were talking about on the Agile stuff. It's, it's amazing. I mean, digital has made it so easy to test and the value of testing uh, is just incredible. You don't have to trust your gut. You don't have to take your best guess. Mm. You can test and uh, customers will give you the answer. Yeah, it's always surprising that often the thing that ends up being the most effective and you're like, whoa, <laughs> that was just one of the things I wasn't sure about, but did it anyway. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, then what would you say is like the biggest mistakes people often make when they're getting into marketing? You know, one of the challenges is marketers, and this isn't just marketers, it happens in every profession, but in marketing, it's easy to sort of fall in love with one particular tactic or one particular tool. I mean, in some ways, that's good. It's like, right, I mean, you develop expertise, like some marketers, uh, you know, like they're just fascinated with search engine optimization and they really live and breathe search engine optimization. But I think the best marketers, certainly those that are looking to rise up into marketing leadership, it's really important to to keep an open mind and to keep learning about an incredible expanse of you know new tactics and new channels and to not fall in love with any one particular tactic or channel if you're like oh well I always do this um, you know find mm. the right one for the situation yeah it's always easy to just go to what you know and actually you need to optimize for <laughs> for all of us yeah yeah <laughs> but you know Classic. we push against it as much as we can nice okay what would you say is the best book you've read on marketing as well as your own book <laughs> yeah. yeah no i <laughs> not my own so this isn't a marketing book but to me it's been the most game-changing book i've read in thinking about business dynamics in today's world and it's uh, the book uh, anti-fragility by um, uh, nasim nicholas taleb the essence of the book is essentially you know we think of things as usually being harmed by change which means they're fragile or things that can withstand change which you know is stuff that's robust and uh, uh, Taleb suggests that there's actually an entirely different class of things that are anti-fragile, where not only do they survive change, they actually get stronger because of change. And in today's environment, I mean, like evolution is like a great example of something that, you know, is continually species are getting stronger through change, assuming they persist. Mm. In today's world, I mean, there's just so much change happening that organizations are wrestling with is thinking about how do you design your organization? How do you design your marketing department to embrace change, to get better with change? Uh, I think that's a really valuable idea. Cool. Yeah, I studied biology at university and evolution and everything. And people was like, well, that's what to do with business. And we're like, well, actually, about <laughs> the best sort of school on business you can get, really. I like, had to embrace change and deal with like 
niche and competition and all this stuff. It's, it's pretty good, I think. So one thing you may not be aware of is that we share the same birthday. We are both oh, nice. 28th of September. So woo, uh, you're exactly that, 19 years older than me. I think. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so on that topic, what is the best birthday present you've ever had? To me, it's always uh, travel. Anytime I get a chance to, uh, you know, go on a travel adventure, that is by far the best present ever. Experiences then. Yeah. Nice. And then what is the kindest thing someone has ever done for you? It's hard to just pick one. Yeah, I think anytime somebody gives you an opportunity before you've proven that you're ready for it, those things are always a really kind gift, right? I mean, this is how we move forward is, you know, we're almost ready for this, you know, and someone takes a chance on this. Uh, and I think the, those things open up so many doors. So Cool. And yeah, thanks for coming on the podcast, taking a chance on me and these things. Yeah. I'll, thanks uh, for having me. <laughs> definitely. I'll be in touch uh, next birthday. That's for sure. It's something I can remember. <laughs> See if I have anything else. And um, yeah, have a great day. And uh, if you like what I'm thinking, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year and all these things. Sounds great. Best wishes for 2019. Yeah. Cool. Better said than, than I said it. <laughs> all, right. <laughs> all right. Take care. Bye. Bye. So thanks again for Scott Brinker coming onto the podcast. So many cool insights from the HubSpot HQ and all his various lessons on running conferences and writing books. A pleasure to have him on and an absolute legend. You just listened to an episode of Marketing Mindset. Please hit subscribe and tell all your marketing and business buddies they need marketing mindset in their lives. If you're feeling generous or bored, then invest 20 seconds in leaving us a good rating and we should be very grateful.